Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chitheads podcast. My guest today is no stranger to embodied philosophy, Isa Guchardi, who I've actually interviewed once previously, episode 50, in which we discussed shamanism, depth hypnosis, and integration. Today, we are back together to explore her new book, The New Return to the Great Mother, and talk a little bit about um, the initiations uh, and um, circumstances of birth that she wrote about in this beautiful book. But first, a little about Isa. In the mid-90s, Isa began developing depth hypnosis as she entered into clinical practice. Her studies, both in academia and in the field of cultural and linguistic anthropology, comparative religion, and transpersonal psychology formed the basis of her approach with clients and students. As the body of work that grew out of her clinical practice became larger, she began teaching others so that more people could benefit from the techniques she had developed. In order to accommodate the number of classes that grew out of this process, she co-founded the Foundation of the Sacred Stream, which is now a school for consciousness studies in Berkeley, California, serving hundreds of students each year. Isa teaches and speaks nationally and internationally, and she has published numerous articles, podcast episodes, videos, and the books Return to the Great Mother and Coming to Peace. She maintains a private practice with institutions and individuals in depth hypnosis and coming to peace processes. Isa speaks five languages and has lived in 11 countries. She's also the mother of two children and lives with her partner in San Francisco. So hello, Isa. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you, Jacob. It's wonderful to be back. It's always been my desire to have you back for another episode of Chit Heads. And uh, I promised myself I wouldn't have any repeat guests until after the 100th episode, but here we are at around 132. So I'm so excited to have you. And I know many of our students and people in our community have um, uh, studied with you before. You've done seminar talks and courses with us. And, and indeed, I consider Foundation of the Sacred Stream um, a sister school, a sister organization. And um, it's been wonderful to support each other over these past several years. It's been about four years since um, our previous episode together. So today we're here to talk about your new book, which is called The New Return to the Great Mother. Just to start, I wanted to talk a little bit about what inspired you to write this book at this particular time. Well, uh, I wanted to write originally the, The Return to the Great Mother because I was seeing that so many people were losing power as they were giving birth. And, um, you know, I had spent, when I was in my childbearing years in the 70s and 80s, um, I was very involved with the home birthing movement that happened then. At the time, home births were absolutely, you know, unheard of. And um, we lived in a community that was mildly modeling itself on the farm in Tennessee, which is, of course, where Ina Mae Gaskin was really revolutionizing the home birth movement. And so um, at the time, you know, we, I thought we had really made progress. You know, we all had our babies at home. We helped each other give birth. We, of course, incorporated the, the medical procedures that were needed when they were needed. Of course, you know, we totally appreciate 
all of the resources that Western medicine offers birthing mothers. But we really felt that there were certain things that were sometimes disempowering when those interventions were not necessarily needed. And so we were trying to really create this other way of being with birth. And I thought we had kind of won, you know, everybody I knew was working at home or working in tandem in a in an empowered way with the medical system. And I thought we were good, you know. And then I, you know, I raised my children. And then I started realizing that I had all of these students who were midwives and nurse practitioners and and doulas who were really um, in fighting the same battles that we had fought. And I thought, I thought we had done this. And then I realized, you know what? We need to change the battle battleground. We need to change the battle lines. We need to take the, the discussion inward. We need to create a way to empower mothers that is, that is sustainable in any situation, whether they're having an emergency C-section, whether they're having a, a home birth with a, with a bath, you know, whatever, whatever the situation, the connection to the great mother can help them stay empowered no matter what's happening. And so I wrote that first book, The Return to the Great Mother, as, as sort of a, a clarion call. Remember, you have this connection with the great creative power of the earth, through the fact of your biology. Remember it, personify it, engage with it, allow it to support you. And that was the first book. And I've been, and I started teaching a couple of classes at the foundation of the sacred stream. One was tracking spirit in the birth environment, which is about understanding how to maintain the environment of birth in a in a way that empowers the child and the mother in their birthing process. It's, it's, it's helping everyone connect with the power of the great mother and maintaining the creative portal that opens during the time of birth. And um, that class actually evolved, has been evolving, it's still evolving, into an understanding about the nature of the creative portal in the artistic process, because there's so much to learn about both. Uh, you know, from from each environment for the other, and then um, and then I also teach a class called the Initiations of the Sacred Feminine, and I love that material because I feel that it is really it brings the idea that your body is your teacher actually, and I felt that it was important to to write the new Return to the Great Mother to include that information and to put the context of the initiation of birth into the other larger context of the spiritual initiations that a woman's body brings her through, through each moment of her life, her birth, her, um, her puberty, her menses, her sexual encounter with the other, um, giving birth, menopause, and death. So I, I really wanted to put this into this larger path so that women really understood just how amazing their, their create, the creative power within them is and how amazing it is that they are connected to the larger universal creative power through their biology and that that is a spiritual process of evolution that presents themselves, presents itself to them. Mm. 
Yeah, and you know, while you preface the book, and of course, the book is is um, primarily uh, directed towards people who identify as women with wombs who engage in the birthing process. There's actually a lot of material that's really relevant to everyone, and uh, you know, I myself was was quite moved. Um, and and this is sort of where I want to go now, which is this discussion of of initiations. Um, and and how the initiation of birth is is situated within this um, kind of larger sequence of initiations. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about what an initiation is first, from your perspective? You know, many people hear this word and think, you know, hazing in a fraternity or something. <laughs> exactly. So, what is you know, what's a more general meaning of initiation, and why is you know considering it um, so important? Uh, thank you for saying that. That's, I know it's, it's a big issue. I know everyone thinks that about the hazing at the fraternities, right? You know? mm-hmm. But initiation is, exactly, is, a, is actually um, something that, a process that traditional culture is well understood. And it is a, um, it's a moment in time where you have a change, where you move from one state of being to another. So you can see with the fraternity, you were outside of the fraternity, and now you're inside the fraternity. So they have an initiation, right? And hopefully it's not all hazing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so we have all these different moments in our life where we move from one form to another. But our biology is very, very clear. You were once a water being connected and dependent on another being, and now you are a being who is breathing air and you are mm-hmm. on your own. That is a change in state. And, there, and in traditional cultures, there would be a ceremony or a ritual that would be conducted to capture and hold and contain the power of that change to help the initiate step into that new way of being and mm-hmm. to help them understand what the nature of that new way of being is and what they're in for instance uh, in a puberty ritual you have in the jewish tradition one that is still very very active and and alive in the modern time where you have the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah where you have uh, a child all puberty all of puberty as an initiation is the the change in form from childhood to adulthood so at the first blood or at the time where pubic hair becomes evident in the male then there is this understanding, okay, this is no longer a child, this, this is an adult. And now we're going to create this ritual and we're going to capture the power of this moment because all initiations, um, especially biological initiations, have this element of creative power within them. As the old form falls away, the, there is a vulnerability that has a tremendous amount of power in it to help form the new form. And in, for instance, in Judaism, the new form is the adult, but it's the adult who is dedicated to the maintenance of the group. So they have the, the, the child has gone through a, a ceremony, they have learned a certain text, they have presented it to the community, they have dedicated and promised themselves to be part of the community and to uphold the principles of Judaism. And now they are an adult member of the community. And the bar mitzvah was the initiation ritual that is capturing that moment of change and dedicating it to the new form of adulthood. And in this case, it's an adult 
upholding the principles of Judaism. And that is typical mm. of traditional initiatory experience, where you have, uh, for instance, you have um, in, in marriage ceremonies, you have, uh, even today in, in modern times, you have a male in, in a heterosexual marriage, you have a male, a father, taking the daughter, the creative power of the daughter, and giving it to another male, right? And that is marked as an initiation of the wedding. That ceremony is the initiation where there is a change in ownership of the woman's creative power. Not my favorite um, you know, <laughs> idea, but it is what happens, right? And this has always happened in, 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 in societies where, where um, marriages are conducted in this way. This has been the reason for the initiation of the wedding, right? It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a moment of recognizing a change in, in this case, ownership of the creative power of the woman, right? Yeah. Knowing me, I have a little bit of a problem with any idea of anyone's personal initiatory experience being dedicated to anything other than themselves. And this is where I, I have this kind of, I feel myself to still have, you know, I'm a little bit of a alternative kind of thinker anyway, and this is where I really feel it strongly, you know, that we must dedicate the power of all initiation to the initiate. You know, like, I feel like I could, like, put out banners on wall and, you know, walk through the streets, you know, screaming this, you know, and it would, and nobody would know what I'm talking about, of course, but I feel so strongly about it. It might work know, in San like, Francisco. Yeah. yeah right? Like, what is she doing? You know, but I, but in birth, this is so important in birthing because if the power is taken from the mother, if the power is taken from the child, bad things can happen. So you, yeah. you really need to have a focus on bringing the power of that initiatory moment and dedicating it to the initiate. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And I, I like that you brought up kind of perhaps um, um, a form of initiation that many people would find problematic now, which is the sense of you know owning the woman's power and passing it along. Because it seems that despite um, you know the relative circumstances of the structures of power that inform those um, rituals and initiations. The main idea is that, th that, that what is the baby that's thrown out with the bathwater, as it were, is kind of the, the necessary container by means of which uh, someone can make that transition into a new form. Um, and so in the context of birth, would you then, so I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to is this idea that there is perhaps, you know, bad tradition or bad rituals of initiation, you know, if we want to use these simplistic terms like good, bad, but, you know, sort of, or disempowering ones and empowering right. ones. Let's use yeah, that, right. that terminology. Yes, right. So then would we, because part of your book is critiquing the medical medicalization of childbirth, which I think is a really beautiful and um, point in your book and something that's been, you know, gaining a lot of of discussion and people are really talking and engaging with this idea, you know, what happens such that the, the initiation of birth, um, which was held in this kind of sacred orbit of traditional ritual was then transitioned into a medical context led, you know, directed mostly by men. Um, so we've gone from this sort of initiation 
healthy or empowering initiation to a disempowering one. So can you talk a little bit about um, the issues around the medicalization of birth and, and what you think is lost there in that shift? Well, I think that one of the important things to remember in, in any discussion about initiation is power. Because like, for instance, in the bar mitzvah uh, uh, example, the power of the individual is dedicated to the group in order to make the group more powerful, right? Rather than the individual mm-hmm. more powerful. And in that, in that example we gave of the marriage, the, the power is dedicated to the structures that are owned by men um, in order to make those structures more powerful, right? And so you simply have another group that is coming in and taking the power, the tremendous creative power of birthing and dedicating it to themselves, <laughs> right? By, you know, bringing in, <laughs> bringing in, you know, because you have to pay so much money to give birth and you have to pay it to the insurance companies, you pay it to the pharmaceutical companies, you pay it to all of these corporate entities that are looking to cash in on the power of birth, right? So that was what I wanted to ask. Is it, did that, did that transition happen as a result of kind of like, it's like a new, it's a new economy, like forging a new opportunity to cash in by, is, is that what motivated the shift to the medicalization? I mean, at least from one perspective. Well, I think that I think that came later. I think the initial movement of getting the midwives out of the birthing environment and bringing in the male doctors was a power grab that had to do with gender. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then it became more articulated uh, with the you know as the as our medical system became more and more dysfunctional, and and the the sort of the opportunists in the medical system had more and more access to the birthing environment. But I, I do think, you know, I, I don't like, you know, the, the danger about writing a book like this right now is be, there's so much discussion about gender and, and beyond gender. And, you know, you can get caught in the crosshairs of all of that. And, and you can get really bogged down in that. And you, you lose, as you say, you throw the, bot, the baby out with the bathwater. And you lose the point, which is that, um, you know, birthing is a hugely creative process. And that process belongs to the woman and the baby. And we need to understand how we can best support them. But what immediately becomes evident is all of these opportunists that want to kind of, you know, move in on this creative power. And that, you know, that's why I'm teaching the the class Tracking Spirit in the Birth Environment, because it helps people understand how to maintain the creative portal. So no matter what is going on in the birthing environment, the, the portal is kept clear. And of course, um, you know, there's all these different karmic issues that arise as a woman is giving birth and the child has their own karma, their own, their own path. You, you don't want to, karma is a charged word, but the woman has her own path, the child has her own path, and they have, there are complications in both of those paths that also arrive in the process in, of giving birth. And then you have the creative portal to hold that and hold things steady as those kinds of things emerge internally as well. So it really is, the, one, the, thing, the reason that I have really worked and st- strive to bring the lessons in giving birth into the artistic environment is because artists deal with the same kind of thing. They, as they get connection to the creative portal of their own art, they have their own obstacles that arise, their own, you know, you know, ways in which they can't 
embrace their artistic vision in the way that they might want to. That's why you have so many artists dealing with creative blocks. And then you have all mm. of these people who, people who do manage to create, then you often have people who are trying to feed on them, trying to get in on it, trying to cash in on them. And they don't have, and they don't have a way to maintain the integrity of the, their creative environment because they don't understand the nature of it and the anatomy of it. And, and there's so much to learn in order to be able to be in alignment with the great creative power that is what the earth is showing us every moment. And you can be in alignment with that as a birthing mother in a very evident way. But we are all striving to understand and be in alignment with that great creative power when we are trying to create. And mm -hmm. most of us don't have an understanding of the nature of the creative power that we are in contact with. And um, having the connection with the great mother, uh, our own understanding of who the great mother is, gives us an internal compass, an internal guide to show us where we are going and how we must get there and what we must address within ourselves in order to be able to align as fully as possible with that power and dedicate that power to the positive manifestation of our own destinies. That's beautiful. One of the things I really appreciate in the book, and you know, you did this, do this throughout your work, which is kind of to express this this notion of the creative power, what you refer to in the book as the great mother and elsewhere as the great mother, in a quite non-sectarian way. And um, there's, you know, of course, there are many people who are quite comfortable with icon iconographic symbolism and the notion of deity and and all of this. And there are others that, you know, cringe or shy away from such expressions. As I was preparing for this interview, I recalled a, a workshop that you did with Robert Thurman in uh, at the SAND conference. And someone was asking you a question essentially about the beings that you encounter in journeying. Um, and, and the question that comes up, of course, is sort of like, is this my imagination or is it real? And you had this really beautiful answer, and I wish I could recapitulate it, but perhaps you can for us now. Maybe that's the point of the question. Is, you know, why does it ultimately in some sense not matter uh, it, uh, whether it is, quote unquote, real or imaginary? Um, and uh, I was reminded of this because in the book at one point you write, um, even if you decide it is your imagination, the imagination is a powerful force. So can you talk a little bit about that idea as it relates to relating to the great mother or this creative power? Sure. So right there, the, as you say, um, the imagination is a creative force. And I'd just like to talk a little bit about that. First of all, I'd like to say that we don't have to imagine anything to see the beauty and the creativity yeah. of nature all around us. Right. For There's sure. no, yeah. you don't have to imagine the thing. <laughs> you just have to watch. <laughs> just watch the, the flower grow. Yeah. Right. You know, watch the bee pollinate. Right. You know, you know, watch, watch, you know, a, a, a river cutting through the, the canyon. Right. Of rock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to imagine there. But in, in shamanic yeah. practice, was, you were talking about journeying. This is shamanic practice. One of the things that you do with the shamanic journey is that you connect with the unseen powers behind the forms of nature. And this is the essence of shamanic practice. And of course, 
connecting with the great mother is connecting with the forms behind this creative expression that is birthing, that is the earth, and understanding that power in your own terms. So it is going to be individual to you, and you may have to move to your imagination to understand what might that look like for me? What might that feel like to me? And there we have to understand the power of imagination as being something that can bring us toward the encounter with something important and powerful rather than the way that we often use it in the West, which is to get us away from what is happening. We imagine ourselves going somewhere else because what's happening here is just not good, right? But how about if we use our, the power of our imagination to move toward this larger encounter with the transcendent? In, a, in this case, the, the, the expression of the transcendent is the creative power that is expressed and articulated in birth, in nature, in the creative process. How, how, how would we get closer to that? How would we imagine that feeling or, or, or looking like or listen? How would, it, how would we hear it, right? And that will bring forward the form that has meaning to us. And in my book, I give example after example after example of different women who have engaged with this movement inward, and sometimes with the imagination, and then worked with it and moved with it and felt that the image, that iconography that you mentioned of the great mother as they conceive it, supporting them and bringing them through the hardest parts of the initiation of birth. So let's un, uh, discuss the seven initiations that you mentioned in the book um, for women in the book. Can you just briefly outline what they are for us? You know, in the book, I really do focus on women's and women's process mm -hmm. because I am writing it for women, but you know, I don't, in some ways I don't like the fact that I had to focus so fully on women, but it, but because so many of these initiations are shared by men or shared by people who are beyond gender, you know, like, so, it, so, it, but, and in order to move through all of them for everyone, you have to have, you have to come to peace with your body. And by paying attention to these changes, these initiatory moments, you begin to understand how important it is to have a strong relationship with your body because your body is your teacher. And men have bodies too. Beyond gender people have bodies too. And so they can also listen to their bodies in the same way. The only difference is this generative creative impulse that women with wombs have that, that you know, nobody else can actually give birth, you know, to a baby, right? So, um, so, um, so in, in being born, this is the first initiation. And I, and I mentioned all of that because I want everyone to feel themselves as part of this great, amazing biological teaching that spirit is offering us as we become material beings. It's the material teaching us about the spiritual. So we have this, we're being born, we're moving from being dependent and in water to independent and in air, okay? That is a huge shift and there's so much to learn. And the way that that transition happens, that first one, can be a template for the person's entire life. Stanislav Grof, who studied with Otto Frank, 
who was a student of Freud, was mm -hmm. absolutely clear on this point. He says that the, the birth is the template for the life. And I have seen that again and again and again in my depth hypnosis practice. I could give you hundreds of examples of people who have had a particular type of birth that has affected the way they have engaged with reality for the rest of their experience. So that is a very, a very important uh, moment where we transition from one form to another. There's creative power that is released. There's a new form that is born, uh, that is that emerges and that the power needs to be dedicated to the individual, right? Then we move to the next big biological initiation, which we've already talked about, which is puberty. And the problem is that if you have had an incomplete initiation with the previous initiation, you're going to have complications with the next initiation. So this is why it becomes, and one spiritual path becomes complicated. So let's say, for instance, you had a traumatic entry at your birth, and now you're having this transition where your body is completely changing again. It's very likely that that's going to have, there's going to be some traumatic element for you, which would be different from another person who'd had a less traumatic birth. But there's the old form of childhood falling away and the new form of adulthood taking place. And then for women, you have this process that we're talking about of the falling away of new forms, the building of new forms, the falling away of old forms, the building of new forms happening every single month with their menstruation. And this is huge. And many women's psychology are formed by the way in which they experience their menstruation. And there is a real movement away. You know, now there's this movement toward menstruation, but you know, for many women alive today, there's this kind of, oh, this is a shameful thing. This is the thing that we can't talk about. This is a painful thing. This is something I don't want. And there's this whole rejection of that experience and therefore a rejection of their body, a rejection of their creative uh, power. And then when you enter into the, the sexual encounter with the other, which is a celebration of two beings coming together to engage the, with the creative essence with another person to be able to, to have this kind of transcendent experience of the orgasm with one another and to help one another in that process, nobody can participate in that. <laughs> Everybody's got so much going on in terms of how I feel about my body, you know, that I don't, I don't know if it, you know, if I can do this thing, you know, or, or other people are like, you know, oh, there's all this creative power. I'm going to get it. And that's why I'm going to engage in this sexual encounter. Right. You know, it's like everybody's coming into the sexual encounter with, and plus you have, of course, all of the influence of pornography now, which is so widespread, which totally changes the way that people relate to the creative spark of the orgasm, right? So, so now we have all these people that have got all these complications in terms of their relationship to their body, the relationship to their life energy, the relationship to the creative power within and life energy within their body. And now they're trying to engage with another person with that and there are complications, right? Okay. Now we get to birth, and the one thing that nobody tells the birthing mother is everything that you have never dealt with is going to come up during birth, <laughs> right? <laughs> so all of the other initiations, which you may not have even understood to be initiations, 
all of the ways in which you were successful in them will help you in birth, and all of the ways in which you were unsuccessful in them will come up as an issue in birth, right? And nobody knows how to talk about this. Nobody knows how to manage the effect of it, and nobody knows how to correct it and one, in order for a, a woman to be able to give birth effectively. And, and this is where the great mother comes in, because if you can call upon the great mother in the midst of the birthing experience, she can help regulate and bring forward that creative power and bring it through those patterns of disorder that people have from not having understood that they are on a path of initiation. And that she can bring you through. And I, in my book, I show that again and again and again, how that happens. Okay, so there's birth. Now we get to menopause. And men go through menopause in the same way that women do. They just talk about it differently. I know in my classes, so many of the younger women are terrified of menopause because there's just this awful view that, you know, you are no longer a woman if you're in menopause. And men feel that too. They can't have an erection. They're no longer a man, right? So... You know, this, this, you know, this idea that the creative impulse is moving inward and that there is a whole internal expression of this procreative, generative, powerful experience that is now available internally and now creates this alchemy to help the individual begin to prepare for the next big initiation, which is death. And there's this whole way of understanding this movement inward and then the preparation for death. And in the same way that birth has, a, giving birth has big consequences, so does dying. And everyone dies. And of course, in the Buddhist understanding of practice, we are all living our lives preparing for our deaths. But nobody's doing that. You know, everyday, you know, Western, you know, even Eastern, you know, and in between people are not thinking that this is what they're doing with their lives. But if you have lived each initiation to its fullest and completed all of the tasks that were set before you in each one, you are in a very good position to die well, to be able, have you, if you've accepted this movement inward at menopause, if, if you have accepted this movement inward as you age and you dedicate that power to the death, you have an ability to die within an empowered space that you would never have if you didn't understand all of the previous initiations and how they were preparing you as you let go of that last form and move into a new form. And... Um, I think that, you know, the implications for understanding this, these concepts are huge. And I think they are absolutely life, they can be life changing. And one of the things that immediately comes up for people when I talk about this is, but, you know, like, I had this awful birth. And then when I, you know, my mother screamed that I had the curse when I had my period. And then, you know, I was raped at my first you know, experience of sexuality, and I hate my period, and I want it to go away. And you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I can't wait for menopause because then I'm, you know, it, then I never have to deal with any of this again. You know, like if you have that, that's one view. That's a common view that a lot of people have. Not exactly that, but a lot of women are somewhere along that spectrum. 
And you know, the, they're like, how do, what do I, how am I gonna prepare for death with all of this going on? The initiations of the sacred feminine class, we spend a lot of time repatterning the initiations that were incomplete or failed, Re shifting our relationship to those issues that were problematic, realigning ourselves with the power of the great mother so that she can help us viscerally shift our relationship to those experiences and heal from them so that we can become more whole as we move through the further initiations that we have before us. Yeah, um, that was beautiful. And I, um, I'm glad you brought up this, um, uh, this idea or this um, example of one of your um, students or clients um, talking about how her mother um, sort of spoke ill of her birth. And it was something that I had never really thought about, but it kind of, you know, bears true. And I have memories even with, within my own family of, of similar things um, where, you know, I think we've, at least most thoughtful people have come to a place where we um, consider that, you know, the period between birth and infancy does some, have some impact, even though most people think why, how can it? Because I don't remember it, right? So this, these unconscious forces, I mean, that was, you know, Freud's whole insight. Um, but then this other layer of the ongoing narrative that is, um, you know, recapitulated over and over about, you know, the story of someone's birth and hearing it throughout one's life. And it just, it just struck me as a really um, important um, insight that, you know, the way that we, um, you know, narrate uh, as as parents, um, the experience of our children's birth has a huge impact on our children, and that was just a really powerful thing, and that um, that you brought up in the book that I really um, was glad you did. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people are crippled by the fact that they know that their parents wanted another gender, mm -hmm. and they they tell them that. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And then the, you know, the, the puberty initiation, which it's, you know, with the exception of the, um, with Judaism, what you were talking about, bar mitzvah and bat mitzvahs, um, and of course, other indigenous cultures or cultures around the world, other than um, uh, um, the prevailing one here in the United States, um, there's no real recognition or kind of silencing or shaming of the transition into puberty. Um, I, I mean, I hope my uh, parents won't listen to this, but um, they never had a conversation with us about about um, what was happening, you know, and um, and I think that's the the case with a lot of of people. I'm sure many people have had that experience where parents, because of their own socialization, are terrified to even speak with their with their children about sex, you know. So there's even even the conversations that part of the of the of the ritual and the initiation is, is missing or is lacking. And then on top of that, it seems like, and I'm wondering what you think about this, that there seems to be a privileging of adolescence. So also this lack of initiation into adulthood. Um, we don't know what adulthood means, you know, and, um, and, and so this kind of privileging of youth and adolescence and a complete lack of really any container for how we would, transition into that, that adult stage of life. Yeah. Why is it so lacking in our culture? Well, I, that, that, that is a function of the breakdown of the culture generally. 
So, you know, one of the things, if you, if you study, like if as an anthropology student, if you study indigenous cultures or, or any culture, you wind up studying actually the initiatory rites. Those are the things that are evident to the outside observers, right? And they are the things that hold the society together. They are, they, are, they are taking the individual's power and they are dedicating it to the forms of the culture, okay? So, you know, again, I am, you know, a rabid individualist, but, an, you know, a, a, but, an, a, but individuality with personal responsibility is, is, you know, sort of, you know, where I come from. And um, in order to attain personal responsibility, you have to have certain understandings about what that is. And there is so little in this culture that, that has any kind of a weaving in a coherent way of understanding about these biological initiations. And there's no container for it, you're right. And there is no guide there. We are all being parented by people who were poorly parented at this point. You know, there's no, there's no understanding, okay, this is how I teach you know, my, my child to be responsible in this particular way, in a way that is empowering to my child. That, that's not a very common idea. You do have cultural and religious ideas where there is a structure that they put the child through, and there's a, a sort of a, some kind of a value system that the child has. But that's less and less common. And even in those situations, the power of the individual is still dedicated to the cultural form or the religious form. And they're really, I mean, this idea that I'm espousing is actually completely radical. That it's, there are no indigenous cultures really that dedicate the power of the initiate to the initiate. It's to the culture. We don't have any kind of form to dedicate that power to anything. And so we have this chaos that we're dealing with. And we have all of these forces of, of chaos, of negativity, and you know th th this inability to really become an ethical individual <laughs> because mm -hmm. we don't have any examples. And the person who wrote the, the foreword to my book, Darsha Narvez, she, she says that she feels that the breakdown in ethics in the cultural environment today is a function of not having a proper nest for our children. And mm -hmm. that we don't, we, 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 don't, we don't take care of them at the early stage and that we don't adapt the nest for them properly as they get older. And you know the truth is humans take a long time to grow up. We need a nest for a long time, actually. And nobody understands this. It's obvious to me that it's not just about a kind of recovery of an old paradigm, right? Because someone might hear uh, this conversation and think, oh, well, are you, it's like you're suggesting this sort of conservative return to old forms of, of initiating. And, and, and what I hear you saying and what I'm glad you've pointed out is that this is actually um, of course, there is an element of recovering wisdom, um, but it's not about, you know, sort of recreating old forms. Uh, I like the way you express it in in the service of the initiate rather than the service of some kind of existing authority or structure of power. 
that's that's why you know when I was talking about you know you know marching in the streets with with <laughs> with flags you know like it is very radical you know this idea is extremely radical, and I think it is you know and nobody gets how radical it is because they don't understand the context and once they start understanding the context then they begin to see oh this is an, this is a revolutionary idea, and it is the revolutionary idea that we need. Because we all need to become more empowered in order to be able to bring forward all of our gifts, to dedicate them to the, to the resolution of this calamity that we are engaged in. And with the breakdown of the, this beautiful earth, who is our teacher, you know, we, 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 we have to learn to, we have to learn to align ourselves with this tremendous creative power so that we can help bring us out of this calamity through the expression of that creative power in our own individual, well-contained, well-managed ways so that we can bring her through this, so that we can bring ourselves through this. That's beautiful. It's obvious that the the problem has been kind of outlined and diagnosed and the need for it is is clear, but what are the kind of necessary steps forward to move in that direction, especially in a time of such disintegration and of of bonds and sources of solidarity? It seems like it almost seems like we need to find a foundation of solidarity with each other again before we can, you know, even begin to discover what these initiations might be, or uh, so what? Are, what are your thoughts on that in terms of just taking steps toward this, you know, ambitious goal? We have to find the actually the solidarity within ourselves first. Mm-hmm. That's the more important thing, which is why the connection with the Great Mother is so fundamental. Because, and this is in in the shamanic in the way that I teach shamanism, applied shamanism. This is how we work with the creative power of the earth generally through the interface with all of the different helping spirits that emerge from the shamanic journey to assist the initiate, the student on their path to healing themselves so that they can step into a more empowered place. And so I I think that the next step is that everyone, you know, everyone needs to understand that it is that their suffering isn't something that has to be in an ongoing way that they can from the, like from the Buddhist perspective, take refuge in the great creative power of the earth that she can teach you. And she teach, you know, we do through the shamanic journey. We, we engage in a very comprehensive way with all of the different wisdoms that the earth has to offer without taking from any culture. We are engaging in a new way which allows us to address this calamity because if we addressed in an old way in an old in an old cultural form of shamanism we wouldn't have the solutions because those people didn't have these problems and the thing that i see that's so important which is why i teach night and day you know which is why i used to see clients night and day is because uh people need to understand that they can change themselves, that their suffering is not permanent, that the the ways in which their initiations may have been incomplete don't have to mark them for life. 
and that they can engage. And the first thing is to engage with a sense of coherency internally, which the Great Mother provides, and then to begin to make inquiry and to ask questions. And in all of the classes I teach, every single class, there's not a class that I teach that is not about bringing coherency to some facet of someone's experience that requires it. And I think that the, the, I tend to teach people who are already healers, who are already teachers, who bring, uh, they, they kind of come to the well of the sacred stream to be inspired and to draw from that well, to take it into their communities, to help their people begin to, um, to begin to do this deeper work, you know, with this understanding. And there's many paths, you know, I'm not saying this is the only path to consciousness. Of course, there's so many, you know, Jacob, I mean, the most wonderful thing about embodied philosophy that I have so much appreciation for is that you are bringing forward all of these other different wisdom paths that yoga itself can provide such an incredible path of learning, again, through the body. And there are, you know, all of the different teachers that you bring, all of the different possibilities. Their, their consciousness abounds, and, and we just need to be able to find different paths for, that are perfect for each person, that are suitable for each person, and let them know this path is here, and your task is to follow it. And, and when it's your body, <laughs> and you have your body as your teacher, the first task is to make friends with your body and to begin to recognize your body. That's something you don't, ha you don't need another teacher outside of yourself. You have the great mother and you have your body and you can listen. Of course, there's lots of stuff that comes up when you, you know, a lot of issues that come up as you begin that listening process. And you can go to a lot of different types of uh, healing modalities to help you there. And of course, we have our education at the Sacred Stream, but you know, you have your beautiful education, all those beautiful classes you teach in yoga philosophy. And there are many other paths as well. Mm. Well, the, the, the offering that you give in the book or the technique or tool is the, I believe it's the, called the meditation on the Great Mother. That's right. Um, and I actually really appreciated as I was closing the book um, that you focus on one technique or practice. I feel like I have read so many books. It's become quite popular to just jam pack chapters with practices. And it's just, I just, I, I really highly doubt this is the cynical part of me that anyone is doing those because it's just such an overwhelming wash of, of information and it's just disorienting. And so I really appreciated that about your book, that it really is one tool that you then, you know, circulate around with all of the wonderful teachings and, and stories and um, case studies in the book that, uh, that kind of then finally arrive in this beautiful appendix of, um, of a sort of how-to guide on the, the Great Mother. So I would ask you to do the practice, but I've actually found that most people listen to the podcast on the go. So, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so it's not the best context for it, but I was wondering if you would maybe talk a little bit about it and if there's anything you can, you know, without kind of going into the practice itself, what are, what's, what is the, this meditation about uh, in terms of like the sequence of techniques or the approach to meditation that it provides? 
Well, um, it, it is a, a process of helping you relax and helping you move from sort of conscious mind orientation. And, you know, it provides you with step-by-step -step moving inward, helping you focus inward. And then it brings you into um, your own understanding of the power of nature. And then allow, or another, uh, another area of experience. And then it provides you with instruction about how to open your different senses to be able to perceive the presence of the Great Mother in the way that is most natural to you. And then gives you an opportunity to interact with the Great Mother and establish the relationship, understand her nature, and then you know, listen to any teaching she might have for you initially. And then it guides you step by step back into ordinary reality. And we do have that meditation, and we can actually um, offer it, if you want to, we can offer it as a gift for people who are listening to this uh, podcast on our website. And you can go there and you can hear me offering the meditation, and it's something that you can follow on your own when you're not driving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's actually beautiful. Um, and um, so I'll make sure that we put a, a link to that on our okay. podcast page and include it in the newsletter when we announce this episode. Oh, great. Um, so Isa, this has been so wonderful um, chatting with you about your new book. I always adore having conversations with you and um, and getting to sit with you and hear your wisdom. Um, as we close, I just want to give uh, you an opportunity to talk about anything that's uh, forthcoming or um, any projects that you have going on. I know, like I said, many of our students are familiar with you, but uh, um, perhaps some we have some new listeners who haven't met you before. So would you like to share a little bit about um, what you're up to? Well, we have, um, we have the initiations of the Sacred Feminine class coming up shortly. It'll be on our website, sacredstream.org. Take a look at the calendar. And, um, and um, that is actually in a hybrid form, which means that you can take that class from wherever you are. There's a, a set of videos, lectures that you receive that you can watch on your own time. And then we have uh, an hour and a half or two hours where we come together twice during the course of this video uh, instruction. And you can ask questions and, you know, you, know, off, you know, offer your thoughts and your experience. It's a way to come together around it. And we, so you can do, and we have those times where we come together um, on a Friday night and on a Saturday morning. So people all around the world, it covers all the time zones. So everyone can participate. I'm really excited that the internet has offered us these possibilities. So the initiations of the Sacred Feminine class is coming up. And then we also have, um, we've talked about the shamanic journey and that class is also coming up. We're just, we're just in the middle of uh, uh, another, an, an, another hybrid form of that class. You could join at the last minute and watch a whole bunch of videos and join us for the next Q&A, which is in uh, two weeks, um, if you wanted to. Uh, or you can take it in June. We'll be offering it again in, in the summer. Um, so those are, those are two important resources that we have pointed to in this, um, in this uh, podcast. 
And then, you know, we have lots more classes. Um, my book um, on depth hypnosis will be out probably at the end of the year. And the foundation course in depth hypnosis is beginning in June. And it's, again, in a format that is uh, suitable for people all around the world. And this is the first time we've offered it in this format so that anyone anywhere can take the class and um, then receive instruction in short modules. The reason that we developed these classes in this way was not only for the time zone, but everybody's kind of tired of being on Zoom. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so you can listen. I, I don't know if you are, Jacob, but, but, um, but, um, but uh, you can listen you know, on your own time and then come together for a short amount of time. And then you're mainly interacting with other people. We spend a lot of time with uh, integration and sharing um, with other people one-on-one -on -one in the classes. So um, it's not like I'm sitting here talking to you forever on Zoom, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, I, so these are the, some of the things that are coming up. But we have so much going on on our website, and um, we have more podcasts. We have, uh, you know, about the sacred feminine. We have articles about the sacred feminine. We have um, lots of work that um, we've, there's podcasts, that, the classes that I've taught with Robert Thurman on embracing the sacred feminine. There's so many resources there. And there's also for birthing, um, birthing people who are actively engaged in the birthing year. There's, um, there are all kinds of resources, uh, meditations for the partner uh, who's supporting, meditations for the birthing mother, uh, ways of, um, you know, understanding the whole birthing process in, in this kind of new light are there. So we have a lot going on. And I hear you have a new yeah, website coming beautiful. up, Jacob. There is a new website coming up. Yes, thank you uh, for um, offering that opportunity. We actually have not publicly announced it at all yet. Uh, no, 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 it's great. Actually, this will be a nice teaser. Actually, by the time this comes out, it will probably have launched because it's launching. Well, we're soft launching it on the 13th of May. Um, yes, it's a very exciting new, um, um, completely kind of customized solution um, that's going to provide a lot better um, user experience, hopefully, for our community. And we're very excited about that. It has been a long, <laughs> grueling process. We actually got through one year with one agency, um, you know, uh, invested a lot in it, and then just had to stop it and and start from scratch again. It was. Oh my goodness! It's been one of the oh biggest challenges, but we are wow. very, very happy with the uh, the the um, the new site and what it looks like and and how it's going to improve upon our ability to offer our offerings. So. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I have to say, Jacob, uh, your innovations, your way of working, um, you know, technologically and also the material, the way that you present all of the beautiful different approaches uh, to spiritual experience is a real inspiration. It has been a real inspiration for us. So thank you so much. Oh, that means so much to hear you say that. Thank you, Isa. All right. Well, until our next third podcast, perhaps in another um, two years, or perhaps we won't wait that long. Um, I've been speaking with Isu Bichardi, and she has just uh, published her, or has it, has it been published now? Yes. Lisa? yes Is it available it's, it's, yet? It's, it's being, it's on the printer right now. <laughs> oh, amazing. It's, so it's by the time old. it comes out, it will be available. 
Yes. All right. The new return to the great mother. And again, uh, Issa's um, organization is Foundation for the Sacred Stream, Foundation of the Sacred Stream. And you can find that at sacredstream.org, correct? It's still .org. Yes. Am I correct. right? Yes. All right. Yes. Excellent. Uh, thank you, Issa. It's been such a pleasure chatting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs>